Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Welcome back, Grizz Nation, to another episode of the Longview Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and this is a podcast on the Grizz Bear Blues Podcast Network, alongside GBB Live, the 3 and D Podcast, the Core 4 Podcast, and the Starting 5 Podcast. So if you haven't already, check those out wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast. And Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. And we are recording this right before the Grizzlies and Hornets game on Wednesday night. I got a very awesome guest, one of the, probably the probably the hardest working media person in the city. He is a beat writer for both the Memphis Grizzlies and Tiger football. It's none other than Evan Barnes. Of commercial appeal. Evan, how are you doing today, man? <laughs> As you described all that stuff, Parker, I just got tired again reading all hearing all that <laughs> stuff that I'm doing. <laughs> but I'm okay, man. How are you? Doing pretty good. You, you know, you should go by the uh the moniker uh two beats barnes. Oh god, no, no, that, no, no. That would probably <laughs> that would hammer home the message of like, dang, I do a lot around here. <laughs> I'm trying to forget that until people remind me. <laughs> No, but it, it's, I like the I like the I like the creativity though. That is a pretty uh, interesting nickname though. I, I'll give you props for that. Yeah, but no, you you do fantastic work. Honestly, you're you are my resource when it comes to Tiger football and how I know how the state of the program's doing because I just don't I don't really hear much about Tiger football, especially this season. But that that's probably a whole other podcast, a whole other subject. But um, you know, I wanted to get you on to talk about your four-point line piece because I thought that was one of the most fascinating preseason developments. I I don't get the same luxury as uh, to go into practice because, you know, day jobs and stuff. But, you know, I noticed in an Instagram video or Twitter video, they had a four-point line. I'm like, oh, okay, let's look into this and see what's up with this. And so, um, and you've kind of like gone over the early returns on that. So we'll talk about that. But also, you know, I like to cater to my guests you know when it comes to podcast times and topics that they're passionate about and one thing that you had reached out to me about and you wanted to talk about was just how this team is winning close games and that's probably been the biggest trend right now besides the uptick in three-point shooting and John Morant's I'm not even gonna say all-star play right now he's up to an all-NBA level right now to be honest but they're they're closing close games and that was kind of a problem last year especially against 
I don't want to say that cupcake teams, but I mean, they had that trouble against teams like the Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, Detroit Pistons, you know, teams that were racing for Kate Cunningham and Evan Mobley and Jalen Green and not trying to make it to a play-in game or anything. So what, what's been the biggest thing that you've noticed when it comes down to them closing games? Just, I guess, from like a mentality standpoint, what's really catching your eye there? I think what's been interesting is just, just the poise that they have. Like it used to be a case of, you know, they would get frustrated they'd make mistakes. They would just kind of, you know, snowball into this, you know, quicksand, if you will, of just poor play and just, you know, getting tight. But now it seems like they're playing more loose when they have to like dig out of a hole. Like we saw when uh, Monday against the uh, Timberwolves, they stayed calm while the Timberwolves kind of wilted like a young team typically does. Um, but overall, what I'm seeing is just like there's a better sense of, hey, they've been there before. They figured it out. Um, there's a sense of trust in who's going to take over. I mean, Ja did some pretty amazing shots, but it's not just Ja. I mean, it's it's Jaron playing defense at center. It's Desmond Bain hitting big shots. It's Kyle Anderson getting blocks like that one against the Warriors. Um, it, it's it's probably been, as, as you mentioned, it's probably been the most fascinating thing about this early start is they're they're winning close games and they're doing it against good teams like the Clippers are a good team the Nuggets are a good team um the Lakers even though they lost they put the fear of God in them you know mm-hmm. with with the healthy LeBron and Anthony Davis out there um so I think that's something that you know is a good sign of this team's growth is that good teams find ways to close games out and it seems like the Grizzlies at least for now are showing signs they can do that yeah absolutely I mean you mentioned, I guess, the thing that everybody remembers the most is just how John Morant has been really taking over these moments. I mean, we saw it in the Minnesota game, just how he got the switches that he wanted. He wanted he got Patrick Beverly off of him, got him on a bigger guy. And next thing you know, he's ISOing Jaden McDaniels, who in his own right is a really good defender, and then Carl Anthony Towns getting the shots that he wants but also the play of Jaron Jackson Jr. You touch on his defense and that massive block on D'Angelo Russell comes to mind, but also his contest on Jokic last week. Uh, I think it was Wednesday night. And, but also he's made some really big offensive plays. Like he had that game last week where he had like three, three pointers in under a minute. So it's been really fascinating to see just, and I think this is, you know, you know, one of the buzzwords, Evan, growth opportunities. Last year, Taylor Jenkins loved using the word growth opportunities. I think this play-in game and in that game one against Utah, I think that's played a really big factor in how they've been closing games this season. Yeah, I think experience is the best teacher. I mean, you have to lose those games to learn how to win them. And I think we look at every every good team in the NBA – there's always going to be that point where they learn how to win by losing. Um, You can't just all of a sudden put it together and magically turn into like, you know, a 60 win team. You have to learn by losing. You have to learn, okay, this is what worked. This is what didn't work. Um, The same thing with young players, you know, young players don't just come out of the gate piping hot. They have to learn how to fail. They have to learn how to struggle. And then as we're seeing with Ja, the young players turn around and they say, okay, I know what I can do. Let me add more to what I already know and trust. So I think that's what we're seeing right now. It's early, but I think, you know, it's a positive development that the Grizzlies, you know, one of the NBA's still youngest teams has figured out that, hey, they know how to close games a little bit. Even if they lose, they're not just hanging in the fight. They're throwing the final punches or throwing big punches, as we saw, you know, the Warriors game. I thought that was, you know, a game that could have easily been a Steph Curry game, but instead it became another example of the Grizzlies' depth stepping up. Yeah, and I, I do want to ask you too, because – 
one thing that's been kind of marinating um, my mind here past couple of days, especially since Taylor Jenkins comments about the data and how it's pretty revealing that Jaron Jackson's done very well at the five is you're allowed to close with Jackson at the five. And like if with Adams, it's not, let's be real. It's not as controversial closing without Adams as it would have been closing without Jonas Valanciunas. And I think, I mean, do you see the same thing? Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, look, last year there was questions about, you know, Jonas being on the floor to close games. And I think everyone kind of understood that, yeah, it's not going to happen just because, you know, Jaron gives you a little bit more mobility and gives you a little bit more versatility um, now that he's back, of course. But I guess, you know, that was something that was brought up last year too. Um, and now that Jaron's healthy, that's been something that's been a, a, a quite a development that, okay, now they can turn him loose as your closing center, which absolutely spreads the floor, which, which gives him a chance to show how he's improved as a rim protector. Again, I don't think he's a great one yet, but I think he's showing that if he needs to play defense, then he can do it without fouling late in games, which in these kind of games, he still has that problem, but he's shown it, you know, against the Nuggets and showed it against the Timberwolves where he was able to play that whole fourth quarter before he fouled out in overtime. So I think um, the numbers are there for Jaron. I mean, I don't, I don't have them in front of me, but I think, you know, I believe in that second, that fourth quarter at overtime, they, the Grizzlies were a high plus minus team with him there, but it's not just a plus minus. It's the fact that he's out there. He can defend, he can, you know, be on the perimeter. He can give you some kind of offense. And I think right now, because he's kind of had this up and down start, that's something that you really can take pride in that if he can be on the floor late in games and not be in foul trouble, that gives the Grizzlies a little bit more to play with instead of having to turn to, you know, maybe a smaller lineup or whatnot. So that's something you kind of hope to see, you know, continue to see what progresses from it yeah I I really think a lot of the things that come up with closing with Jaron Jackson at the five and that we've seen here lately it's just the defensive versatility that that can be unlocked you really saw it in that Minnesota game where you were able to put Kyle Anderson out of the four and he's guarding up in switches and you have so you have John Morant you know orchestrating the offense running the show there but you have DeAnthony Melton and Kyle Anderson causing havoc, creating turnovers. You have Jaron who could defend up in space and help and do some like help side rent protection. And then Desmond Bain is your four spacer as well. I just think it really creates a potent lineup in crunch time situations where when the defense gets tighter and you're trying to get stops, that's your best lineup to go get stops as of this moment right now with Dylan Brooks out of the rotation, obviously. But in the very, very minuscule sample of five games in 10 minutes um, of all lineups with uh, fourth quarter, I wouldn't, the most frequent fourth quarter lineup is John Morant, DeAnthony Melton, Desmond Van, Kyle Anderson, Jaron Jackson Jr. Granted, basically two minutes a game, but that offensive rating is 157, defensive rating 76.9. Their net rating is 80. I mean, that obviously that's, not something that would sustain over a larger period, but the fact of the matter is that's a winning lineup right there. And I think that's kind of like showed like a blueprint of going forward of how you're going to close games with John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. Defensive disruption, three-point shooting, secondary playmaking. You want a fast lineup that can go out and transition and capitalize off creative turnovers and stuff like that. that. That's kind of like what I've seen when it comes to like, how the closing games is going to affect the big picture. We're starting to see the formula of what's needed on the floor when you're trying to win these close regular season games. 
Yeah, and, and let's be clear. I mean, we still need to see Ja take that step forward defensively, obviously, because that's still not mm. an area that he has improved in yet. Um, but I think what you said is like building it around those two guys, but more importantly, you have Melton who can be, you know, a great defender. Desmond Bain has improved as a defender. I think that's what helps this team a little bit more because with Jaron and Kyle, those guys are obviously your 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 two best defensive front court guys um, in that lineup. But when you have Melton, who is a bulldog, Desmond Bain has improved, it seems, this year defensively looking at some of the matchups. I think that, too, has also been more helpful because, obviously, if you can have guys who can maybe, you know, mask some of Ja's defensive deficiencies, then that gives you a lot more room where Ja can kind of, like, play around. It's sort of, I think, probably what the Hawks do, where Trey Young, we know, is not a great defender, but they have some bulldogs on that end of the floor who can kind of help him, you know, mask that, but also keep him on the floor so he can – you know, do what he does best on offense. So it's it's very promising. I think that um, we'll see how it goes, but that's something that's been a, a fun development early on. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, this is – seeing this growth early, it just kind of makes, makes, you know, the future bright because it's just these more opportunities to get close, like get in tight games. You know, the, the luxury that the Grizzlies have right now being ahead of schedule is a lot of the times teams are having those growing pains – as far as rebuilding or as far as those growing pains, closing games, they're getting that like four to five years into the rebuild. And it's like, okay, this is frustrating. When, when is this team going to put it together and win the team in year three is starting to really put it together, figure out what to do to close games, how to get stops, where to go get buckets, uh, where to find disadvantages in the defense. I think it's really going to benefit in the long run. I mean, even in the short run, it's going to really benefit for playoff seating where you're, they're, they may end up putting themselves in a situation when they're fighting more for five, five or six or maybe seven as opposed to fighting for, like, the bottom of the play-in like they were last season. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think that this is, you know, to me, this is exactly where they should be on track at. Like, this is not something to me. And I've 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 been more, like, I don't want to say like measured on it because to me it's not surprising per se because by year three this team should be making these kind of strides by year four as I wrote I wrote before the year this is the last year that they should ever be considered a surprise after after this year based on what happens in free agency year four being in this position is is a bare minimum and I even think this year it's a bare minimum but yeah like this team has made strides Probably early on, you could say, yes, beyond expectations, you know, in Jaws' rookie year. The second year, obviously with Jaron out, what they did and how they were able to prove. Now you have a healthy Jaron. Now you have guys who are putting those positions to play early, to have key roles. Now they're comfortable out there. And I think it speaks to just kind of how, um, for one, the Grizzlies drafted ready-made players in the first round. They drafted players who could contribute right away. So that way, now when you have Zaire Williams, you don't need to worry about, hey, he's got to come in and be a contributor on day one. He can learn like most rookies should do, but you've drafted well. You've got enough players you can contribute, and now you should be making these strides. Because, again, Dylan Brooks is in year five. When he comes back, he's in year five. Melton's in year four. Jaron's in year four. So all these guys, you know, it is year three of the rebuild, but these guys now have been together for three to four years, and Jod's even told us about it. Like, they are connected where they have that level of, understanding and ability so that even though this is a young team they've seen some things and that's really promising because again if you look at the other young teams in the nba they're struggling like the timberwolves grizzlies mm-hmm. don't have that problem so that's a very good sign that you know here we are in year three and we're talking about this team you know doing mature things like closing out games and you know john moran taking his game to a, to a potential all-star all nba level <laughs> yeah 
I mean, you know, everyone was probably pretty bored by the fact that, you know, there's not that big time trade or the Grizzlies in the past year, they haven't really made these like splashy free agent signings or anything, kind of like how we saw with Atlanta in the 2020 offseason. But like you had mentioned, we're seeing the benefits of continuity. It's helping them close games and helping them just like kind of like know each other's spots. I mean, there was that one pass the other night where like, Jaw was like almost in a trap, but he found a wiggle room and saw DeAnthony Melton cutting and just like dropped like a little bounce pass to him because he knows like where DeAnthony is going to get into a spot. So he was able to just kind of find him on that. But I mean, because we're seeing that problem right now with like, like, for example, like your hometown Lakers, they had so many changes go on where it kind of looks like they're just trying to figure everything out right now. I mean, they've, They've lost two games to the Oklahoma City Thunder. They're flirting with 500. I mean, granted, LeBron's hurt and stuff like that. And the Westbrook fit, it's – we've seen evidence. It's an adjustment period for sure that once it adjusts, it's awesome. But it, it's fine to, to have a little bit of continuity, not make those splashy moves because we're seeing the benefits of it right now. They're winning tight ball games. Their chemistry is good. And if there's no problems with that, then don't, don't break anything that's not broken. Yeah, I mean, or don't fix anything that's not broken. That's the phrase. Yeah, yeah, and obviously we'll we'll see what happens this summer. Because I I believe this summer is going to be the the one to watch what the Grizzlies do. They do need to probably you know make some kind of moves this summer. But I think you're right. Like continuity is important. You know, in a situation where in Memphis you're not you know there aren't going to be a lot of free agents coming here. So you have to make sure mm-hmm. you get guys who can grow together, who have some level of um, high skill to where they can you know make things happen, and that helps. Like again. We'll see what happens. Obviously, you know, when teams get free agents, it's going to be an adjustment. Steven Adams even has told us that, you know, he's still adjusting. So there could be a, a growth period for him as well. But we mm-hmm. haven't seen the best of what he can do. But right now, you, you appreciate the Grizzlies keeping this together. And now that's really helping them, you know, be one of the best teams in the West in terms of record. I don't know if we're going to say, you know, top five, top six yet. But like in terms of record and how they've played, they're definitely, you know, in that mix as far as one of the, you know, better teams right now to start the West. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. But uh, one, one thing first before we get into the uh, the uh, four-point line discussion is, what are, you know, it's about 10 games in. What are you thinking on Zaire Williams so far? Like, I honestly think he's contributing a lot better than I would have expected, to be honest. I mean, it's 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 been a slow process. It's murky, but it's, it's a better patient. than I expected. Yeah, it's a patient process. And I think we sometimes forget that, you know, in this, in this era now where lottery picks are starting from day one and we expect them to be, you know, franchise carriers that you know it's refreshing to see like a lottery pick who is being brought along slowly on a team that really to be honest doesn't have as much use for now like when Dylan Brooks is healthy you got another shot creator on the wing that Zaire Williams could be but what I love about him and I wrote about this today at the commercial appeal is you know you see things about Zaire that he does well like that corner three he loves he loves that oh yeah he loves that corner three it's like Desmond Bain last year with that with uh you know catch and shoot like there are things as a rookie you pick up on right away and say all right this is what I can do really well um defensively Taylor Jenkins has raved about them but I think the Grizzlies have been very fortunate that they have players who can contribute that they don't need Zaire Williams to come in here and average 15 points like if he can get you 15 points in a game this year you will take that as a bonus because you oh, don't yeah. but I think they've handled him very well like I'm not I don't you know I don't think anyone's going to say oh that's a bad pick because he's not you know cooking like Evan Mobley or Jalen Green or you know, when Kay Cunningham gets his gets his feet wet, you know, we know what Kay can mm-hmm. do. 
But I think that, you know, this is the long play. Like I wrote my prediction before the year that I don't think the Grizzlies are going to have an all rookie um, selection this year. And that's not because that year is not good enough. It's because I don't think he's going to play enough to have that kind of a role because there's so many guys ahead of him, but there should be things we see that show promise from him. And I think we have seen that with his, whether it be his shooting, whether it be just his, his hustle. Um, and look, he's a nice, he's a nice dude. Like he, he mm. understands that he's trying to learn and grow and it's going to be good because I think for me, if Zaire Williams has a better second year, then that pick absolutely was a great pick because you see him blossoming to be a ready contributor in year two. So overall, I think it's been a pretty good, solid start um, because this is going to be a very patient process. Yeah, I, I like the idea of a patient process. You know, you can kind of just talk people off the ledge that try to overreact too quickly. You And you just kind of get the – and I, I think it's very important with young players. You just enjoy the flashes, you know. Enjoy those spurts where he knocks down three threes in a quarter or he makes a nice defensive play or he makes the right read on a closeout, stuff like that. Just kind of take take what you can get, roll with the flashes, and just see how he builds on it. That's, that's what I really like to see so far with Zaire Williams. This is Advertiser Content brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down, we break down who will be cutting, cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hidden. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You know, let's get into this four-point line discussion. Evan, what, what are your returns on it? I mean, we've seen that the Grizzlies, you know, they're letting it fly way more often. They're flirting more with the league's top 10 when it comes to three-point shooting. We've seen individual breakouts in that area as well. What are your early returns on it? Well, I think what we've seen so far um, is that they have clearly improved in that on that side of the ball. Like the one surprise that I think I was looking at was just they're taking a lot of threes in ways that I didn't expect. Like and when Jaron talked to us about it, Jaron was like, you know, I thought that we pull up from there, but really it's more designed to kind of create spacing and allow the office to be a little bit more smooth. But I mean, look, as of right now, we're recording this, they're 11th in three-point attempts. They are 10th in three-pointers made and they are 12th in three-pointer, three-point percentage. I mean, mm-hmm. part of that is because, you know, you've got guys like Melton Bain, Jaron healthy, but again, they're shooting more threes and they're knocking them down. Like Taylor James's philosophy has been take more threes, make more threes this year. They've done that. So if this four point line has helped, it looks like it because clearly Devin Baines averaging, I think close to eight threes a game. Melton is putting up a lot of shots. Jaws even taking more shots. And it's not a case of just guys jacking up threes like the Timberwolves. They're jacking up threes and knowing that they can make them like Xavier Tillman, who 
did not come in the league with that shot. He's admitted that to us before. He's comfortable now taking at least one or two a game. Tyus Jones is improving. So I think this four-point line, which other teams have used, I, I, when I was doing my research, other teams have used this um, to kind of help improve with spacing and shooting. Um, it's helped the Grizzlies because now I think they're comfortable with let it fly. Um, it's showing with the results. And I think to me, it's a fascinating development where the Grizzlies now, I, I like saying this, like, Welcome to the modern NBA, Grizzlies. It's been yep. a while. <laughs> exactly. I always use the phrase, it's it's not your uh, your big siblings, Memphis Grizzlies. So it's not the grit and grind Grizzlies where you're going to score 80, 90 points. They're going to try to let it fly. They're going to try to get to 110, 120. And, you know, I, all those points you mentioned on the Grizzlies three-point efficiency and stuff like that. One thing I've also noticed a lot, too, is you're seeing like, – uh, guys like obviously John Morant's going to the pull up three, but like DeAnthony Melton and Desmond Bain, they're hitting side pick and roll threes. Like Desmond Bain had that one last week where he hit it out of a snake dribble. It's like he started his pick and roll out like 30 feet out, kind of maneuvered his way around to that right wing and just drilled a three. And I'm like, with De- Desmond Bain's hitting threes off the dribble, that's going to do something for his ceiling for sure, the team ceiling. But I've, I've noticed that those points that you mentioned where they're in, like towards the top, you know, uh, three-point attempts per game, they're 11th, three-point percentage, 11th. Um, they are 10th in offensive rating. And I think my notes read right. I, my handwriting sucks. But yeah, yeah, no, when I wrote that, again, that was a few days ago. So when I mentioned those stats, that's updated as of today. So don't yeah. worry about what I wrote. Like that was as of that, as of that publishing. So the current stats are what I put. I just said, mm-hmm. so you're good. You're good. Yeah. So when I was looking at those teams, you know, I went back, I looked at all their rankings and those numbers. I looked at their win loss record winning percentage. And what I found is most of the 500 teams that had a four point line, they finished in the top 20 in all those categories, offensive rating, three point attempts per game, three point percentage, three point frequency. And I think the only two ones were the New York Knicks because they also like defended the three point line at a miraculous rate, but also Philadelphia, who relies on Joel Embiid's post-ups quite a bit as well, and, and then obviously Ben Simmons and his interior game as well. Most of these teams finished in the top 20 in those offensive efficiency numbers. Uh, a lot of them also were uh, Greg Popovich disciples, so like uh, Mike Budenholzer teams, Kenny Atkinson teams. Uh, I want to say Brad, uh, a Brad Stevens team or two did that as well. It, it really – they, they are known to be some of the best offenses in the league. And do you think that these sustaining these stats, sustaining these marks, is that going to be imperative for their playoff seating in terms of like, are they a play-in team or a playoff team? Is this offense and what this four-point line has produced early and often so far? Is this going to probably decide whether they are a straight-up top-six playoff team or a play-in team? I think Jaron Jackson has a bigger role in that, to be perfectly yeah. honest with you. Um, but I do think, though, you're, you you brought up some good points there. I think that they're going to have to, you know, they have to be a better offensive team. Like, when it comes to the playoffs, um, they saw firsthand what Utah could do. Utah could basically light it up and just basically play the math game where you make more threes, you take a lot of threes, you can get a team that's not going to be able to shoot the ball well. Um, I do think, ultimately, when it comes to the playoffs, you do need, you know, solid go-to plays in, inside a two-point line because that's kind of where defenses will adjust. The bread and butter is right there. But I do think that if you want to look at a team that can probably get into the top six, I think it helps. Like, you're going to have to, you know, outscore teams and if the Grizzlies can get their defensive 
issues fixed out when uh, Dylan Brooks returns, but also other things, then yeah, I think so. I, I think that this is exactly a formula that's going to help them become a much more lethal team to defend because now instead of worrying about we got to slow down jaw now you got to worry about Devin Bain going off now you got to worry about the Anthony Melton coming off the bench when Brooks assuming he moves to the bench when Dylan Brooks comes back now you got to worry about him being a spark now you got to worry about Dylan Brooks you know who can get you 20 you know if he's on um you know you got to worry about Jaron Jackson so I think this is exactly what they need I think to try to put them up to be a better team not just relying on John Morant being you know, a rising supernova. But yes, I think that this the shooting improvement has got to be sustained because I think if they can, not only will it help them against teams like the Warriors, the Jazz, um, other teams that can shoot the lights out, it's going to help them, you know, find more ways to beat teams. And so, yeah, I, I'd agree with you there. Mm-hmm. Also, one thing with it too is like, yeah, they're going to focus on stopping John Morant. But think about all that space. You've highlighted this as well, like the spacing that it creates, because you can't collapse on John Morant the same when you got to count on Jan Jackson Jr., Desmond Bain, DeAnthony Melton. I mean, I know people always like to give crap on Kyle's shot. But I mean, he's shooting in a very early sample, he's shooting 46% from three. So he, and even from last year, 36%, that's not a small feat. You have three-point weapons where if teams want to collapse on jaw, you have guys that can make you pay and, you know, take more threes, make more threes, um, threes greater than twos, all that. But I I really want to – you brought up the return of Dylan Brooks. I want to ask you this as far as uh, bolstering the three-point weapons. Dylan Brooks notoriously loves his mid-range contested shots. How do you think that this is going to ultimately change this? Do you think it's going to – dial back his two pointers and he's going to start taking more of these pull-up threes kind of like how he told us in media day or do you think we're going to kind of just see dylan brooks stick to his uh bread and butter there and then shoot like five threes a game i i think we'll see dylan fit in kind of the same way but take more threes i mean you've seen desmond bain I, i'd say it like this look at how desmond bain is getting his threes but also finding his mid-range pull-up shot a little bit more um that's what we're going to see from dylan brooks i think dylan brooks knows he can be you know he can get more shots in his offense but I think with Dylan Brooks, he has that tendency of being a volume shooter. So I think for me, you want him to continue to get his shots any way he can at the basket, the mid range. And then if he can pull up from three and get you like six, seven attempts a game, you'll take that. Cause clearly um, he he's going to add a lot more to this offense. And I think I don't want him to sacrifice the two, because to me, when you see Ja and Bain get more comfortable with those twos, imagine what Dylan Brooks can do. Cause he, he loves that shot. So mm-hmm. I think for me, you want him to just be who you are, take more threes because you'll fit in fine. Because again, Dylan Brooks has not turned down many shots. Nope. As we know. Um, but you will uh, be able to figure out how to make that work. Right. And, you know, I know people will kind of clamor for him to shoot more threes because they don't like the inefficient twos or whatever. But most good te- like if you ha- have a wing who is six, 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 seven, big bodied, can create their own shot, you got to utilize that because that's like one of the highest commodities in the league is big wings that can create their own shot at multiple levels. If you're restricting everybody to be a three and D kind of guy, then that just gets his two pointers off attacking closeouts. Then what kind of like dynamic do you have to your team? You got to attack at those three levels. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, if he starts, if he comes back and he starts like pulling up from like doing his like pull up threes instead of pull up twos, it's going to be a very interesting conversation, obviously whether he makes it or miss it, but just his shift in mentality because people are kind of 
convinced that he's just going to stick to his ways and all that. But do you think well, what, that gave is, you that, what gives you that impression? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Like, he, play, yeah, he plays his game. Like, nah, he plays mean, his I'm game. Kidding. He does what it takes to help the team win. <laughs> like, and I mean, I tell you what, they, they miss him. And I'm glad that he's now questionable to come back. We'll see what that ultimately ends up being as far as when he returns. But his fit in this take more threes and make more threes is going to be very interesting. I think he'll he'll fit in just fine. Like, again, Dylan Brooks, if that man turns down a shot, let us know. That'll be breaking news. And I mean that in loving, in love. But, yeah, Dylan Brooks, like certain people say, he don't miss no meals. Dylan Brooks ain't turning on a good shot if he can oh, get it. Absolutely not. That's <laughs> You, you got to have that irrational confidence player on your team. But, you know, with, with this take more threes, make more threes philosophy and just the amount of spacing that this has created and stuff, it, is, is it too early to say that this is probably the recipe that you want going forward when building around John or Jaren? I know a lot of people are, are sometimes like, ah, oh, like just go to the goal, get in the post, whatever. But do you think this is, especially given, you know, Taylor Jenkins, his background and the coaching tree that he comes from and just the dynamic uh, weapons of John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. and just what they provide differently. Just do you think that this is the recipe going forward? It's just to, had this very spaced out offense where your point guard goes to work and you utilize his scoring and playmaking abilities to generate offense, both for himself and others. I'll start by saying that this is clearly projecting way far ahead. So that's my thing on that. Um, Cause I don't want to get too far ahead to see where this team goes in like three, four years, but I think yes and no. Yes. In the sense that right now for this team, it's going to be, it's absolutely imperative that you give John more options. Like you cannot sustain um, an offense in the playoffs where your best player is six foot three. Let's be honest. Like there's not a lot of history of the NBA where guys who are shorter guards can be your number one option all the time, have dominate, dominate the ball and get you deep into the playoffs. Like we saw Chris Paul do it, but you saw what Chris Paul had around him. A lot of guys who could do more things. It's just very difficult because you can game plan against a smaller player a lot easier than say um, a taller one. And so mm-hmm. this is going to be important that the Grizzlies continue to develop shooters and space the floor out so that John Morant doesn't have to do it himself. Um, long-term though, I'm, I'm, again, I'm old school as they come. Like you, you got to have something in the paint to balance it out. And John right. getting to the paint makes it even trickier because he is very good at creating in the paint and getting a shot. Um, but you do need to have that. You got to have that balance because in the playoffs, we know that <clears throat> there's a saying, you know, long threes, long, long twos get longer in the playoffs. You know, those threes get a little bit harder to hit, you know, in a series where they can game plan against you. So the more options you can give, the better. So I think right now it absolutely is a formula that the Grizzlies are going to need to kind of keep this thing going to evolve this, this let it fly. So that way it's not just Ja doing all the work, but it's Ja doing work with help from other players to kind of, you know, take the burden on him so that way he can be fresh in the fourth quarter. Absolutely. I think that's exactly kind of like what we're seeing right now with these steps. Um, you have Desmond Bain, Anthony Melton. Obviously, they're taking big steps, mainly Desmond Bain. I, I think when it comes to the most improved player discussion, he's the Grizzly that needs to be brought up instead of John Morant. I know that was one of the things that you had in your dislikes on your uh, on your column on the commercial appeal. And um, But also, too, I, I think Tyus Jones coming in and playing the way he's been playing, I mean, his – his raw scoring numbers aren't exactly the, you know, it's not like 
10 or 12. I mean, even that seven that he's getting right now on the efficiency that he is, that's huge because you talk about keeping John Morant fresh. When you have another point guard that could run that similar system to John Morant and use his playmaking to get open looks for his guys, but also create himself, that's going to be huge. Because I mean, at that point now, you know, when you get to like January, February, you can dial back Jaws minutes closer to 30 instead of 35 because you can play Tyus Jones 17 minutes without you really suffering all that much. So I think it's going to be a very interesting recipe, especially like you said, once it gets to the playoffs, when stuff gets tighter, games get slower, how are they going to generate that offense? Who's going to generate inside the arc as well? I mean, we saw that with John Dillon this past year. So, but how does Jaron Jackson evolve from that? Because his two point efficiency or really inefficiency has been a real, uh, I wouldn't say I'm not alarmed really or anything by it, but it's not definitely a, uh, thing to be optimistic about or anything. Yeah, it'll all take time to figure out. Like I think right now, like what we're what we're all doing is we're all trying to make sense of what we see the early trends are. But you know what we want to also be careful of is that we're just operating on what we're seeing right now, what can work, what you know needs to improve. But also we still have to see room for what can develop from it. So I don't think we're gonna you know make sweeping judgments on you know where this team is gonna be based on the first ten games. But I think we're seeing like positive things from these 10 games that they can definitely build on and grow from. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know you mentioned you don't want to go too far in advance, but ne- next time you're on this show, don't be afraid to go too far in advance. Or anything. This is the long view podcast after all. So, <laughs> but last question, and I know you already gave me your answer when we were talking about the show, but because of your reaction, I got to ask, do you want there to be a, f- four-point line in the NBA at some point down the road. I will say this as politely as I can without offending the censors. No. Oh, so, all right. So you wouldn't even be down like if it was just like like the half-court line was a four-point line. Could you imagine no. like teams not taking timeouts? You know, they're down three or down four, and they just like hoist up a half-court shot. Like I feel like the entertainment value would just go through the roof. Entertain. You mentioned the entertainment value. You know why? Save it for the All-Star weekend. Okay. Point shootout. That would be where you put it in a gimmick like that. Like, now you're getting me to sound like extra dope, extra old school a little bit more with that. But um, no, because here's the problem. Like, the entertainment value would be fun, but if you're trying to win a game, do you really want to be like, hey, let's put in this four-point line and pray that a shot works instead of taking a three-point to tie the game? Like, it's – yeah. that would be a little bit more like video game-ish, which, again, as an old-school gamer, I love it, but no. Save it for All-Star Weekend, make it a gimmick over there to have fun. But no, there's there's no need for a four-point line. If you want, if anything, we can push the three-point line back further to make it a little bit more like challenging. No, 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 not 30. I'd say you, you want to push it back to 27 because I remember when I was in junior high was when the NBA experimented with a shorter three-point line. And that was kind of a, a hit or miss proposition that was very strange. Uh, you saw guys taking threes that would absolutely not take threes. And then they pushed it back to 23-9. Um, so I would be fine if you want to push it back to 25. Sure, why not? But no, let's let's not let's not jerk with what's worth. I think you know at this point, um, more guys taking long threes. Um, that's a whole other discussion where I think that that's a little bit silly. But I mean, this is where we are right now. Guys want to try to you know play the long game for the math reasons, but I don't think we need to like configure the game even more to like try to juice it up like that. Yeah, don't worry. I I don't believe I don't believe this. Either. I don't believe it should be a thing either. Uh, I obviously devil's advocate. I had to I had to play that for the pod, but 
Uh, you you're, know, you're just uh, playing a you're playing a hypothetical to get me riled up. Uh, 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 I, I, I like it, Parker. I like it. Hey, we, you know, we got to kind of give like a little first take thing every now and then. But like, you know, people, you know, people are going to bring it up because teams are deploying it as practice strategies. You have Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, Trey Young. They all take regular threes from like 30 feet out. I mean, you saw SGA last week against LA, like clear out his team. And he just fired up a three from the logo with 18 seconds left on the shot clock. Like, it's like, okay, like people are more, like people are getting comfortable doing this shot. So everyone was like, oh, wait, should we make this shot a four point shot or whatever? But, you know, make it a gimmick, you know, like if we're an all-star game, it makes it fun, all that, but pretty, just a lot gimmicky right now. I also too, it'll trickle down everywhere else. And now you'll have 13 year old kids firing up half court shots because they're not already. I mean, I'm sure they probably are. I mean, hey, you you were you were covering Chino, like you're covering the high school basketball out in Cali when uh, Lamella was doing that stuff, right? I was, and that dude was jacking them shots up, like <laughs> he he was jacking up them long threes. So was Leangelo Ball. So it's like guys are already players are already doing it. And to me, and again, this is where my old school kicks in. It's like if you can make that shot, great. But if you don't, if you don't need to take that shot, get something closer and warm up a little bit. Because honestly, I understand the math, but to me. Uh, a shot closer to the basket is still just as effective if it gets points on the board you can you know keep things going from there but that's just me I'm yeah I'm, no I I understand that way yeah I don't want to I like change but I don't want too much change when it comes to the game of basketball but you know Evan I really we can we can, we can figure out other ways to change things up but yeah I'm, yeah. I'm with you right, let's start with take foul let's just start with the take foul and oh. we'll go from there Get that out. Like, I, I hate that. Like, I heard, I know Pete Pranik has talked about it as well. I hate it. it. It upsets the flow of the game. Like, let's let's get that out of the game. If, you, if your man gets by you, either he gets by you or you play defense to make him shift. I, let's get that out of the game. That, I hate that. Yeah, go go for the chase down block or something. Like, just just get back on defense. Now now, now you're making me sound like an old, old school guy right now. <laughs> I just get back on defense. You we've know? been talking. We've been talking for all this time, and now you got me all fired up. Like we just started talking, so that's it's well played, well played, Mister Parker. Well played. Absolutely. You know, Evan, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Let the people know where they can find you and your work. All right. So you guys can check out the commercial appeal. I'm on there. Um, I'm posting a lot of good stuff on the Grizzlies there. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Evan underscore B. We'll have some more, obviously, Grizzlies commentary and more. Um, Hopefully you all continue to enjoy. And again, Parker, thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. We'll have to do it again. And I'll, I'll see you later at the Grizzlies Hornets game as a recording tonight. And make sure you can follow me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Follow Grizzly Bear Blues on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies and read our work at grizzlybearblues.com. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, downloading, writing reviews for the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network so you can get every single episode of GBB Lives, the Long View Podcast, the 3D Podcast, the 4-4 Podcast, and the Starting 5 Podcast. And that is it.